seems better to miss such a good body. Welcome to Euro Pudding. Euro Pudding is your new podcast made by European screenwriters about writing and producing TV in Europe. And together we will explore how we can make great television. Uh, so my name is uh, Pierre Puget. I'm a French writer based in Berlin. I'm very sorry for my weird accent. You're, you're, you're stuck with me. And um, yeah, I am now with... Uh, With Philip Scherzer. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm a German writer. I'm also based in Berlin. And I don't know, do I have a weird accent? I guess, but uh, that's that's good because that's that's how people can uh, recognize uh, uh, one one of us uh, from from the other. Um, uh, yeah, and this podcast is made by uh, Sean, and Sean is the Serialize Alumni Network, and um, yeah, Serialize is a, um, a school in Berlin. Yeah, uh, basically, we could first talk about Serialize very quickly. What it is? It's basically you can describe it as a premium postgraduate training program. It's for serious authors, and its main focus is on serial development and production of, um, for the European market. And uh, the aim is to uh, work together in writers' rooms and basically develop innovative fictional series formats. And it takes place at the at the DFB here in Berlin. And if you want to learn more about it, just go on the website, www.serial-ice.com. Yeah, and we both went through the program, not in the same year. I finished like four years ago. Uh, you finished last year. I finished last year, yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, yeah, because we realized that there was like a strong connection between all the people who, who, who went through this uh, program. We uh, um, created um, uh, Shown, which is the alumni uh, network, and I'm the president of it uh, for now. Uh, and, um, and, and, and also because we, we saw all these like talents from uh, all over the world, and we wanted to, to um, make more, you know, with all this uh, potential. And, and so we, we do like uh, events, and, uh, and we have like way more projects than this. This uh, podcast is uh, is one of this project, and I'm really happy that we are now in the first episode. Um, so the idea is that hopefully twice a month with guests, we will discuss uh, all aspects of the art of writing, but also the business side of things. So it can go from uh, uh, how to write a great pilot to um, you know what to look for in your contract. Um, I mean, and and we will also try to follow uh, the news and and what's happening in in our business. So if you are interesting and want to support us and follow us, um, you know you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere uh, you listen to podcasts. It's uh, iTunes, uh, Apple, Spotify, but all, all the other apps too. Uh, you can find us on social media like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You just type Euro Pudding. There's uh, almost no one with that weird name anyway. So it's easy to find us. And basically, if you want to contact us, you can always also write to write to us at uh, info at europudding.com. And we'll always be happy to read your questions, your remarks, and basically address the topics that you want us to approach as well. It's the first episode. We should uh, talk about why the name Euro Pudding, even though uh, uh, I hope that in a few months or in, in a distant future, uh, uh, Euro Pudding will refer first to this podcast. But uh, uh, it, this is an expression that has uh, an history and you just found the Wikipedia page about it. Yeah, yeah, I just made my made made it, made it easy for myself. To be honest, <laughs> um, I, I got a Wikipedia, and there's actually quite a quite a nice definition of the term Euro pudding. It says on Wikipedia, Euro pudding is a pejorative term for internationally produced European films or television series that have lost all cultural idiosyncrasies in order to ensure the greatest possible adaptation to a wide variety of markets. Um, yeah, and working language is mainly in English, and as a result, uh, the production became kind of interchangeable and leveled uh, with how, how to say it uh, yeah it's kind of lost its cultural diversity actually um. and and here we want to reclaim that expression first because it's very funny and and also um, we want to to say no we can make great co-productions we can all work together and create uh, good art and not uh, something metal and something uh, uh, that You know, not losing something, but gaining something by uh, working all together and mixing all these cultures. And with a, without further ado, let's uh, dive in the pudding. And we start with uh, uh, some news. And, um, well, we don't have a lot of news except uh, just to... Uh, be clear that we are recording in these very strange times of the coronavirus. This is April 14th when we are recording 2020. Uh, we are uh, quarantined at home, which is why uh, uh, we are talking through the internet and, and the sound is maybe not as good as it uh, uh, 
would have been uh, you know with real mics uh, you know in a, uh, around a real table and um, yeah I mean we don't know what all this means for TV uh, right now. Uh, productions are being outed everywhere uh, in the world. Uh, writers' rooms are moving online. Now everyone is talking about Zoom, uh, which I never heard about <laughs> until a week ago. Um, and, uh, uh, so, and, and there's also a lot of uh, uh, pressure on uh, development. I talked with a lot of uh, uh, writers in the last few days and uh, um, it feels like, uh, of course, producers are meeting, putting a lot of pressure and energy on, oh, we need de development, we need stories. But at the same time, um, I, I think we should also um, accept, I mean, I for me, it's it's a tough time to write. Like, I have trouble focusing on on, 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 on work and, and, and it's it's always difficult to write um, without concrete um, uh, goals. And, and for now, we don't know when productions are going to start again. We don't know, uh, uh, you know, when the projects will will become something a bit more real. So this is a strange time. And um, um, there was one little funny detail that appeared on uh, Twitter, I think, yesterday. Um, and it's a story uh, about Daryl Zana Ass uh, in the <laughs> 1984 Tom Hanks romantic comedy Splash. Um, we had uh, uh, so Twitter user Alison Pregler uh, posted proof that uh, uh, on Disney Plus uh, this movie has been slightly altered to avoid showing uh, part of uh, Darius and ass in a few shots uh, uh, by, for example, reframing uh, the, the 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 shot, but also uh, by adding weird um, uh, uh, CGI air that looks like a furry ass when she goes diving in the water. And I wanted to uh, invite in uh, the podcast in Euro Pudding, uh, Sullivan Lepostek, who had a very interesting uh, Twitter thread uh, yesterday about, about all this. Hello, Sullivan. Hello. Uh, Great that you're here. Yes, welcome. Welcome to Euro Pudding. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. So you are uh, quarantined in Paris? Exactly. Oh, very near Paris, in Montreuil. Oh, I see. And uh, so, so you just learned yesterday that you are quarantined for one more month? Exactly. Four more weeks of this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, how, how that affected your your the work, like the the writing and the, the, the relationship with projects? Uh, it's weird because I I have like so much work to do, uh, which was the case before. I have too many deadlines to count, and yet, as you said, it's quite hard to work uh, at this very precise moment, um, uh, and 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 everything with uh, with everything in flux, and you don't quite know. And, and there are so much news and you can watch that all day, despite nothing new happening. But uh, um, so it's, uh, it is difficult to work and I'm trying to not get too much behind on the deadlines, trying. <laughs> okay, great. But even more importantly, you, you do procrastinate some time on Twitter because yesterday you had a, a very interesting reflection uh, uh, um, uh, bouncing on Darius and ass, if I can <laughs> present it like that. <laughs> of course, everyone already was kind of afraid of the uh, Disney vote and the fact that they sometimes, you know, uh, uh, block movies uh, from being found. Uh, this uh, little uh, anecdote made you um, think about the, the fact that they, they maybe have uh, done something wrong with their new service Disney Plus which just which just arrived in in Europe right yes and I think it's uh, because it's such a big shift in the market obviously like uh, the distributing of content used to be very very different and uh, and now Netflix a few years ago started changing everything and so all the old studios have to adapt and invent uh, new ways because uh, people are consuming their movies and TV series in a very different way and they have to adapt to that but uh, and I think so Everyone now is launching his own platform, and so Disney, Disney Plus is launching now, and CBS All Access launched last year uh, in the U.S., not globally yet, and and uh, and so Warner is going to launch his own platform, which is going to be HBO Max, and and so on and so on, and and so this is going to be um, uh, the main distribution uh, platform from from now on. But uh, since they had to like uh, shift the way to do it, say they kind of did it as fast as they could, and maybe uh, always thought out um, how they should be doing. Um, and, and which is why I think uh, I, I, uh, I did rebound on Darwin Anna's ass, um, because, uh, because I think it's, it's in big part a branding issue. So your point is that by by uh, uh, putting themselves in the box of we are the family uh, friendly service, we are we are the uh, a service with kids, and we 
even cannot allow one shot from a 1980s movie uh, uh, with a little bit of ass in it. Uh, uh, basically, they are shooting Which themselves in, in the food. I am not traumatized. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Uh, um, uh, uh, but yeah which is the thing is that uh, Disney if you ask anyone Disney means, means kids uh, or at least uh, it's a family platform but that you can watch with with, with kids and the, the thing is that Disney has a lot of content which go way beyond kids uh, it's ABC Studios and now they have bought Fox uh, so they have Aliens and the like which is not very kid friendly and uh, And we see the ass of the alien sometime also. So, <laughs> in between them eating people, yes. yes. Yeah, it feels a bit like they 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 are um, similar to maybe the like the kids channel uh, that is available on Netflix as well. So, which I think might become a problem for them because then they become the kids platform. They become something that you only want to add to your platforms if you have kids for them to watch. But the of content they have is is much more bigger than that and to me it would be it would make much more sense to uh, to have this big li library out there and then to go forward and say hey, we are bigger and better than netflix come subscribe to us but what they are now doing is is they have disney plus which was going to be kids 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 but then they are still having hulu on the side which is only on the u.s uh for now but they are developing a lot of original content for hulu and uh, and i think it's a bit of a weird situation where they are shooting their own foot uh and and It would have made sense to to make uh, something else that would have uh, put have a Disney corner inside of that, or you have a kids entrance like you have a kids entrance on Netflix. But um, of course, you don't imagine having a kids entrance on Disney Plus because it's it's like what there's some Disney that is not kid friendly and it doesn't make sense. So I think like of course I understand why they why why they went there, which is that. Everyone knows Disney, so it's much easier to launch. But I think in the long run, they will be quite troubled with it, and they will have to think, really rethink maybe what what they have to do if they really want to uh, be the biggest theater out there, which they have the library to be. Yeah, and, and for us writers, it's also a limitation that that uh, as as long as our project is not 100% family friendly, for now it seems very uh, uh, pointless to to even approach them. So so it is happening already because we uh, there's a showrunner of a of a show which is being developed uh, for Disney Plus, and she begged uh, uh, vocally like, can my show be developed for Yulu instead? Because there's so much stuff that I can't do if I'm staying here. And you had the same kind of reflection about HBO uh, Max, uh, the, but it, it's kind of the other way around that uh, uh, people will be attracted to the HBO brand of quality TV, but uh, at the same time, Warner is going to put a lot of their maybe not as good uh, uh, catalog on it. And, and so in a way, they might also uh, um, create disappointment. And also like do new originals. So as I'm saying, like it's, It's completely crazy to me. Like HBO is such a great brand. Like it's it's a global, worldwide quality brand for TV series. And no, that brand is going to be about a gossip girl reboot. And that makes no sense whatsoever. And I have nothing against Gossip Girl. It's a decent show for what it is, but it's certainly not an HBO show. And I would never, never like make HBO about Gossip Girl. And it would have, it would have made so much sense to have like. Warner Plus, for instance, and then have an HBO corner, and people would pay extra to to get access to the great library of quality plus 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 HBO shows. But then to tarnish HBO to everything else that Warner has ever has ever done and and is going to do now, it's it's really another branding nightmare for me. Well, thank you, Sullivan, for for coming on uh, Euro Pudding. Uh, people can find you on uh, Twitter at uh, Sullivan uh, underscore LP, and um, they can watch your show uh, Les Engagés walk uh, in a lot of countries. I think it's available on Amazon Prime and other platforms. And other platforms, depending on the countries, but uh, yes, it's available in a lot of countries. Well, excellent, and it's a great show. Uh, uh, very like a uh, thank uh, you, uh, uh, charming and daring at the same time. Um, thank you very much thank you for the insight and uh, good luck with uh, the quarantine and all that and, and, for, and with your work thank you very much thank you for having me goodbye uh, 
And thank you to our sponsors who allow us to record with this equipment and to do this podcast in uh, in uh, really good conditions. Uh, C21 uh, in London, uh, c21media.net. Uh, it's the home of the international entertainment community and they're an international publishing company and digital channel business. And they organize also many events like uh, Content London and uh, um, they have been supporting Sean uh, from the start. And, uh, uh, and um, well, thanks to them because we have uh, uh, this great uh, sound uh, uh, equipment now and I also want to thank Paper to Film which uh, uh, is a French script platform where uh, writers can put their projects on and and uh, the project can be found and read by agents and producers and, and networks uh, it's completely free for writers and uh, um, and they are now opening to international projects in English. So you can uh, go check it out and create a profile if you're a writer. It's on uh, papertofilm.com. It is time now to welcome the first uh, guest for the first big discussion uh, in the first episode of Euro Pudding. Well, hello, Nicola Luzuardi. You are uh, joining us in Euro Pudding from uh, Rome. Yes, hello everybody. Thanks for inviting me. Welcome. Well, so uh, you are a screenwriter, you're a story editor and a producer. Between uh, uh, 2013 and 2019, you have been the story editor and creative producer for the original contents uh, produced by Sky Italy. And since the beginning of this year, you are the head of development for the production company The Apartment Pictures, uh, who is behind the Italian uh, uh, shows like The Young Pope and My Brilliant Fred, which are also international shows. We will talk about that. Uh, you wrote a book uh, about series called uh, La Rivoluzione Seriale, and you are the head of studies of the Torino Series Lab, and we know you uh, mostly as uh, one of the main teachers of the Serialized program in uh, Berlin we talked about earlier. Um, so basically, a lot of people know you from your conferences and masterclasses and, and tutoring uh, as a series expert and pushing all of us uh, writers and producers to be more pertinent and more uh, create more memorable uh, uh, TV series. We're glad to have you as the uh, first guest of the uh, Europudding podcast because we at our little level want to try to infuse uh, uh, better ideas and better ways of creating TV series to, to, to everyone uh, in Europe. And, and you usually have a lot to say uh, about all this. Um, and I guess first we can start talking about this current situation we are uh, living through with the coronavirus uh, and how it affects us and the way we work. There, there are some, all the productions have been shut down. Uh, all the, I guess now a lot of focus has, is put on development and writing. Writers' room are were going into uh, the internet and Zoom and, and other uh, softwares. Um, how do you see uh, the the change uh, happening now, and how it will or not go back to to some kind of normal? Okay. First of all, thanks for your introduction. You wrapped up all my sins uh, in a very flattering way. And thanks for inviting me again. And I'm really proud to be your guest uh, in this first podcast. Um, yes, the situation we we are uh, living at the moment is uh, really. Um, complicated and new and uh, dramatical and same way inspiring. Uh, a lot has changed in uh, all we are doing and a lot of us is uh, facing the problem to ask ourselves uh, um, when uh, it will be possible to uh, really restart and in which way this restart will be, uh, which kind of uh, new rules you will need to obey if we want to restart our sets and in which way we will deal in international production, for example, with the problem to have people coming from different countries that could have different policies about how to manage the, um, the issues related with the virus and stuff like that. And we are getting used in um, working through Zoom and Skype and uh, all the platform we have uh, more than before. I spend my day, in my day, I spend some time, eight or nine hours uh, in uh, Zooming uh, with everybody and everything is, uh, for the people in development in this moment, is uh, weirdly um, 
frantic. It's strange because uh, with Zoom, you schedule your meeting in a very precise way. And so you finish a meeting at 11.28 in order to begin the next meeting and everybody is on time. And you don't have pauses because once you, you, you step up from the conversation, the screen is empty and it's not in, in the same way when you are in a room and someone leaves the room for a few minutes in order to get to the bathroom and take a coffee. And so everything becomes really focused and concentrated. And I arrive at night and I'm really, 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 really tired. And uh, I don't know how much um, this is uh, developing uh, inside us uh, some new skill we are not uh, aware about. Um, some new way to play our the relationship between our creativity, our time, and our uh, and and the development process in general. Uh, but I think that something uh, is uh, changing inside us a bit, and probably we will uh, exit this experience uh, also from the from this point of view with uh, something new and. Uh, who knows? Maybe something better. Uh, I also felt this. Uh, um, you, you said like frantic period of development, and uh, it's true that every phone call with producers, um, we feel like a, a desire for moving forwards and with development and stories. And at the same time, I feel it is uh, sometimes difficult um, these days to focus on new ideas. And I also wonder what kind of stories will be uh, told uh, in the now in the coming weeks and months uh, will we see some something new I, i'm not talking about only just the you know we can also imagine that people will come with ideas of quarantine and science fiction and virus and stuff but i have to say now that i have to write this week some sci-fi story that i sold last year it, it is weird to 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 go into a, a mutant world where the reality is is in a way more science fiction than than before uh, yes it's absolutely true and this is a um, a very interesting issue to address. Um, the experience I'm, I'm living now, being uh, for the first time in my life 100% in development, because uh, for the first time in my life I accepted a role uh, and I'm in an, ex in an exclusive with a single company and I work in pure development, just scouting, choosing, working with talent, developing scripts. And uh, uh, being my company, a company with a big slate, uh, we have a, 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 a big number, a big quantity of projects uh, in a different stage of development, I'm working with uh, a, a, an enormous quantity of writers. And what I noticed uh, during this week is that uh, in, the, in the creative environment, uh, you find two uh, completely split different attitude. I would say that uh, starting with my experience during this week, you have uh, the 50% of the writer that are living uh, a, a kind of a hyper excited moment. They try to react to the stress in overworking. And uh, in some way, writing, delivering, and uh, finding new ideas, uh, uh, without asking themselves too much uh, if the idea is good or not or uh, is uh, worked enough or not. And you have half of the writer, half of the people uh, uh, in, the, in the pure creative, creative role that got a bit depressed uh, and uh, lost uh, and feel themselves disconnected in the possibility to believe in the story they tell. And this come, of course, I can perfectly understand both the attitude and um, regarding the, let me say, the disconnected attitude, I think it's uh, um, really understandable because uh, in some way we all um, feel that we don't know anymore if the world that we describe and tell in our stories, that is the world we knew before this new pandemic situation, will be the same after it. For example, think also very simple and easy things. You have to write a scene where two people meet and give the end. 
do we think that really we will uh, keep on giving the end after or kiss uh, or hug each other in the same way, with the same easy way we were used to do until a few weeks ago? Maybe yes, but maybe no. And once you don't know, every writing, every creation rely on a kind of faith you had in the truth of the world you are telling and describing. And this situation for the first time in the experience of our generation is a bit disconnecting ourselves from this faith. We can be um, full of doubt about everything we write if we'll be the same. The inside mindset, the emotional setting, the balance in the way every human being will uh, bring with himself a certain uh, thought, a certain attitude, a certain priorities, uh, is probably changing, slightly changing, enormously changing. In this moment, nobody knows. And this is what makes uncertain our connection between ourselves and the world we have inside us that is still the heritage of a world that we don't know anymore if we will still exist after this experience. This is what I strongly feel. And so it can be, of course, a bit hard to understand which kind of story we are going to tell. I think that what we will probably experience new will be about the inside of the character, a new emotional setting, the meaning to having gone through all of this, what uh, uh, it will leave inside us after the pandemic slowly. But because the story is still unfolding, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. We, and and uh, when we develop now projects, especially at the beginning uh, stage, um, it's to be shot in a year or two. And so um, we, we know that, especially in the realistic uh, stories that happen in the real world, uh, um, s series that will be shot in 2021 and 22, the characters... Uh, we, the writers will have to decide if in this world, uh, if the pandemic happened or not, and then uh, it will be part of all the backstories of all the main characters. Like, what did they do during these times? How did they experience something? Did they lose someone close? Did they? Uh, where were they quarantined? I mean, all these questions are, uh, which um, were of course not important a few weeks ago because it did not happen. Now will be the main question of uh, how do we treat these events. Uh, in, in the past of the series and the characters and or do we ignore them but it's difficult to ignore in, in realistic shows it's impossible to ignore but not just in realistic shows because you have different you have different layers there is one layer that is the one you refer to for example my character is living in 2023 and in his backstory you have to consider what happened to him during this exceptional time and this is one layer The second layer is in which way all the consequences of all this stuff will change our way of life. There will be things that we will do more, for example, washing our hands or bringing, for example, I'd say. And there will be things that probably will do less. And so the way we will behave will be slightly different. Then there is a third layer that will impact any kind of story a bit that will be what this experience will uh, root inside us. And this is something that we will experience letting the time pass. It's something that we have to experience, we have to accept to experience it. It's very interesting what you're saying about like habits, how our habits going to change, like with washing hands and, and shaking hands and hugging and stuff, because uh, the way I'm experiencing now, basically some of my former Uh, colleagues who are still working like uh, in uh, uh, in-house uh, daily drama series, for example, what they're doing right now, actually, because they have to, at some point, they have to pick up production again, um, um, that they're kind of adapting 
right now they're adapting the stories so they can actually shoot it in a so how, how they think it's right right now so basically they're leaving all that out and i'm kind of quite curious how much you can in the end product how much you can edit it you know that you don't really notice it or if you actually notice it that you know people are not touching hands anymore people are not hugging each other anymore like that very human connection when that is left out i'm really wondering how that will affect the product in the end and it's really interesting and uh, uh to to see what's the outcome at the end of the day yeah something i'm, I'm fantasizing a lot during these weeks uh, is uh, the following uh, the idea that uh, it's possible that from now on it will be normal for everybody uh, bring with himself a mask and maybe wear the mask wear the mask sometime in specific occasion and i think that there will be i fantasize about a fashion about mask which kind of mask you wear, you you wear Uh, tell me the mask you like and I will tell you who you are. And so I, I was fantasizing about the fact that maybe we will have to decide also the mask of a character in deciding his profile uh, because it will be, uh, it, it, it will be uh, com committed to, to, to bring a mask in if you have to enter a place with a certain number of person or in case a new flame of a pandemic come. And so, and around all this, you will have a new trait of fashion, a new trait of behavior, new trends, and uh, maybe it will be fun as well. This idea of the mask make everybody a superhero, you know. Absolutely, uh, yes. Uh, uh, I was uh, thinking of the of the Watchmen TV series on HBO, uh, which where they put uh, uh, all the cops and everyone with masks to to uh, to protect themselves. But it was to protect themselves from other humans. And this time we we are uh, dealing with a, a different kind of uh, heroes and, and enemies. People who wear masks are driven by trauma. They're obsessed with justice because of some injustice they suffered. Ergo, the mask, it hides the pain. I wear the mask to protect myself. Right, from the pain. I want to open now to, to uh, address the title of our podcast because it's called Euro Pudding. And as you uh, mentioned already, collaborations, travel, meeting with uh, other people from other countries for the moment is uh, uh, only uh, possible through the internet. But we really, uh, and you know, with uh, Serialite and the Torino Film Series Lab and, and, and all this, we, it's been a few years where a lot of people like us believe that uh, we should push for more collaborations and co-productions co and, and uh, uh, telling European stories. How do you see uh, uh, the, these kind of projects happening still in the next uh, uh, months and, and year? And, and uh, should we wish for more of this where we see that the European Union is kind of uh, lacking uh, in terms of uh, politics, um, uh, uh, provision of, of all this uh, in this crisis and also in terms of economy? And, and you know, can, can, can it work at least on the cultural uh, uh, storytelling level? Yes, I think so. I think so. I think that um, it is happening. It started to happen uh, in the last uh, five, six years. It's happening more and more. And the reason why it's happening is because we are ready to it. Uh, and when I say we are ready to it, uh, I mean uh, um, that our audience is ready to it. The, the community we live, we live in is ready to it. We all need, we all live in a global dimension. And there is a growing percentage of people that knowing it or not, being aware of it or not, is living in a global dimension. And we all need great stories able to reflect ourselves and our identities in a global dimension. Means that more and more, generation by generation, because of course it's different from the people that today are 80 years old, the people that today are 50 years old, and the people that today are 30 or 20 years old, but generation by generation is growing more and more 
something that is rooted inside us, the feeling that we own to something bigger than our own nation. And same time, the feeling that the own nation we were born in need to be told in a global dimension. And this is a, not just a cultural, it's a basic need we have because we, are, we feel ourselves part of something that is bigger and we want to live. We want to be able to inhabit this environment that is culturally global. And in order to live in it, we want to be able to tell ourselves to make ourselves understandable and same time, we want that the other people tell themselves and we want to understand their stories. And so I deeply feel that this is historical, is something that is changing, not just because the audiovisual system is changed, but because history and the mankind and history of our civilization went this way, determining a system of consequences that, of course, bring a set of problems, but same way, like all the human phenomenon, a set of enormous, enormous opportunities. And so, yes, I think that in spite of all this situation, there is a deep need of storytelling and more and more a strong and deep need of this kind of telling stories. So what you're saying is the uh, need for, at the same time, local and global. These are the two words that we keep hearing when we talk about, about this. Um, so um, do you think it's possible in one story to have these two elements or do you think are you telling that it's more about like we need these two kinds of stories the local one that can be seen and understood uh, by everyone in the world or and the 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 one made already in a global way or, or can they be all together in one no no of course they can be all together in one uh, we have a lot of um, a lot of experience and example in it, and some of these examples are under our eyes. There are stories and uh, aesthetical project means content, series, movies that are taught and created consciously or unconsciously, just to talk with their, um, their community, the national community where they are created in. There are other stories, I would say probably the biggest percentage of the best one that are able to perfectly express a local identity, a local specific, specific set of features, marks of a specific identity, but these stories are told, developed in a way that makes this identity Understandable everywhere means these stories are developed according with their ability to talk about something universal. So I can tell my apparently small and hyper-local story in a very universal way once I'm able to understand why this story is so important to me as a human being and focus inside this meaning, my theme, the theme, the, the reason why, the deep, emotional, philosophical, if you want, reason why of this story. And once I develop according to this reason, my story, even if, even if telling something that is apparently so small, a small village in a nowhere, in a place where nobody is gone or, uh, or, or, or um, nobody knows, even if my story will be able to deliver an emotional experience to everybody in the world, potentially everybody, of course. And so, yes, this is global. Do you think like the industry around us now is uh, ready to, to find and, and protect these stories and bring them uh, on the global stage? 
because um, for a long time, uh, uh, you know, friends were doing very small French uh, TV series and only, and, and it, it was never made to, to travel. No one wrote them to, to be seen in, in other countries. And so do you think like it, the writers change, the networks change? Like what, why is it more possible now and how to, to push this uh, uh, energy? Okay, I think uh, that uh, a lot of things uh, changed in the last five, six years. Um, the first thing changing was, of course, uh, um, coming from the strong impact that the digital environment had in our lives. Uh, and uh, probably... The, the, the advent of a new player, and the first, of course, was Netflix, that had a revolutionary impact in the system, able to live in, completely live in the digital environment, means completely live in the idea to uh, talk directly with the, potentially the entire mankind, not just uh, to talk with the, your nation. The traditional kind of broadcaster in Europe, in particular, were created, were founded, were built uh, in order to create content uh, for their own community. Mostly, it was their duty. The public broadcaster, in particular, they had. Uh, specific uh, commitment uh, toward the single nations and sometimes also the private one everything was rooted in uh, very uh, in in uh, in a lot of hardware very hard stuff materials you know then suddenly someone took advantage from the idea that uh, the digital environment is light and fast uh, and can go everywhere diminishing enormously the obstacle uh, in reaching. Everybody wants to be reached. And this being a revolution, in, this determined many revolutions. The first revolution is having players that uh, directly think that they don't work for 5 million or 10 million or 30 million of customers, but are working for 1 billion, 2 billion, 2 billion enough of customers. This changed completely everything. The way you select the project, the way you produce, the way you, the way you think yourself as a publisher. And so for the first time, it became really concrete, not just possible, but uh, uh, needed to uh, develop and, and produce something that is naturally, naturally, immediately released all over the world. And so, of course, you have, uh, you have uh, a player, a commissioner, that immediately knows how much your content uh, was uh, appreciated in every country by everybody. And so you are naturally, you jump naturally in a global dimension. And this is really incredible because from the point of view of a big platform, of course, the success you have uh, in your country is... Uh, just one element among others. You can have a series, I don't know if, uh, I, I know some title where it happened. Absolutely not successful in their own country, but enormously successful in very, very unthinkable place in the world. But from the point of view of the player, every consumer, every subscriber is worth off. And so I don't care if my... 10 million, 15 million, 2 million come from the country that originated the content or come from another country. Everybody is paying the subscription. And this immediately created a different uh, um, mindset in looking for content. And this is one side, the industrial side, the, um, what changed in the, in, the, in the real world. A change in technology, that determine a change in fruition consume in, in, the, in, the, in the attitude, in the habit of the consumers. On the other side, if we talk about Europe, we are facing an enormous amount of 
problem and because uh, uh, we are living a really schizophrenic uh, um, situation where um, growing percentage of the community in each single country in Europe uh, is uh, living uh, is living concretely a life uh, that is connected connected with the, the one of the other countries for a growing amount of people is completely normal to travel and consider being in Germany or being in Italy or being in France uh, kind of part of the same movie not uh, something uh, astonishing and and the point is that that uh, that Politics and infrastructure are not yet connected and uh, ruled as the one of the, of one single big global community. It means that on, on one side, we live that experience in our everyday life. On the other side, each country is each country. And in a moment of crisis like this one, we feel how much we are divided in different countries. So all this situation bring a strong need to make ourselves understandable, to, to talk with, to communicate more, to make other people know us and where this come from. This come from telling stories, not just, of course, telling stories, but telling stories, creating mythology, sharing the same aesthetical experience is essential in creating a community. And so it's something that uh, consciously or unconsciously we need deeply in order to push, help, to push this uh, sum of countries that call themselves Europe to become finally the real European community means people that feel themselves part of the same bigger experience, political, cultural experience. And so I think that there are many layers that push also uh, the creative, collective, the production environment, uh, the player, the broadcaster. There is business, uh, there is sociological changes, uh, there is a political and cultural need that all together push a lot to make us uh, raise the bar of uh, telling more in a more global way our stories, not losing ourselves, but finding ourselves and uh, deliver ourselves uh, in a more clear, aesthetically clear way. And, and in the other way around, do you feel like if we manage to tell more of these connected uh, stories, we it will also help the politic aspect of 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 you know like that is lacking for now and and yes, of course it is. It's uh, uh, I absolutely agree. Uh, this uh, help politics. Unfortunately, we are late. Unfortunately, we are late. I think that the call of duty um, was. Uh, I think that the, the, the cultural environment in Europe uh, didn't uh, um, listen the call of duty uh, on time. Uh, and so we are late. A lot of people didn't push. We need, we, we, our need would have been to start in a stronger way, in a more, dis in, in, in a more committed way to work on this um, two or three decades ago. On the contrary, we were a bit uh, lazy, culturally and intellectually lazy, in understanding and accepting that our duty, our role as a storyteller, as intellectual in general, would have been to push a lot in order to do whatever possible for us in order to share more, share mythologies, share stories, share aesthetics, share images, share charm, share, share whatever you consider beautiful. Yeah, and especially regarding the fact that TV series is something that that um, invites itself in the in the living room of people. It's not and, and it has in a way more um, cultural long-term impact than maybe some big movies or some theater that people you know choose to go see uh, um, it, it, it has probably a more um, 
uh, I mean, I don't want to say it like that, but like, like a virus uh, effect on people. This, uh, this race, uh, this race for the TV series or the or the or the audiovisual storytelling, uh, not for a theater. Uh, in, in general, raise, raise the stake, the ethical, the cultural, uh, and the political stake of the, of the contents. Yes, I agree. And then it's interesting because you, you were talking about this local and then it made you uh, uh, jump into, into Netflix because it's true that as a big American player with a lot of uh, uh, money, uh, they are in Europe mostly looking for very local content. Um, while on the other end, the traditional public broadcasters are in a way to compete, in, of course, because of money, but I guess it's they're looking for different things. Uh, we see the Alliance, which is the... Um, uh, Rai, ZDF, and France Television uh, joining together to do uh, bigger projects. So this is two very different ways that we were talking about. One is local, one is global, and and um, for us writers, it's a it's a chance because in a way we we all have two kinds of projects: the uh, bigger one that maybe don't need uh, uh, or need less. Uh, you know, cultural markings and the one that, that are very small and need to be protected to be, to be, to feel bigger. Um, what, what do you think as, uh, 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 European writers is, is, should we put our stock in? Like what is the, the poker game here uh, happening? Uh, what would be the best bet? I don't know what will be the best bet. Uh, of course, I don't know. I would say the following, uh, that, um, the two types, uh, you defined on one side the type of content that comes from uh, um, a, a, a classical uh, setup of European co-production like the Alliance and the kind of content that uh, are the ones selected and produced by global player, by a global player like Netflix because um, also the, the landscape of the global players is evolving a lot um, and redefining itself a lot and it will redefine itself in the in the in the coming month and the years because as you know you have Netflix you have Amazon you have uh, Apple coming you have uh, uh, HBO Max coming you have uh, Disney plus starting to select and produce. Uh, European content and so on, and uh, it's we are in an early stage of this uh, uh, new competition that will redefine a lot of things. But um, staying um, close, sticking to your question, and uh, trying to look at two very uh, already established kind of reality: the one of the classical co-production and the other one of this uh, new global player. Um, I would say that the main difference is that, uh, of course, on one side, the classical co-production, uh, co um, for example, the kind of the alliance, seems to look for um, important topic to be shared. For example, uh, Leonardo da Vinci is a topic, and of course, uh, being Leonardo da Vinci, hyper-important uh, Uh, artist uh, that own to the common history, even if it was Italian and then it went in France and so on, it owns to our European history, is a topic, and uh, they look for a topic that can be shared, and then they develop it in a certain way. And uh, this uh, define from my point of view, something that uh, is before has to be seen if it will be really global, for the moment is international. There is a difference to me between local, global, local, and international. International sometimes can, can be local for many nations instead of being global. Sometimes can be global, okay? At the moment, that kind of production is just international, has to be seen. And of course, they are they are uh, potentially really interesting but we don't have yet a track record uh, a recent track record i would say because we can go back in history and we have this kind of international co-production since decades 
I don't know if we have a real new trend in this kind of production, uh, this kind of international production setting. On the contrary, with the new platform, uh, um, apparently uh, Netflix uh, is uh, looking for global content and uh, is a bet to them because they, of course, they develop hyper-local stuff but they have the aim to make them global. Sometimes they fail, sometimes they succeed, but it's normal. They develop and produce so many stuff and every time is a bet. But the point is that they are looking for something that is really specific and they aim to deliver it all over the world. And this is kind of interesting. On the other side, you have one Netflix doing this job, but you have another Netflix, I mean, you have at least other two or three Netflix that do different kind of job that is immediately global. And tendentially, according with the, the few experience I have with all the other players, they will go mostly for uh, content with the... Um, potential to become global. And so my personal bet would be definitely to look for, and I'm talking with writers, look for, develop at your best, your ability to tell stories in a global way. And sometimes you will apply it to your very hyper-local stories, trying to make them global. And sometimes you will be, you will have the chance maybe to work directly on the pure global kind of content that is a slightly different championship and sometimes also a bit harder to get. Kind of for me, if I, if I try to develop something, I kind of go more like the inward way, of course. And then, and then whatever happens with it happens instead of like trying to say, okay, I'm talking, telling a global story now, but I'm trying to find like maybe the basic basic uh, human emotions in it and then if it travels it travels in general in general of course the basic to go global being it uh, in a global small tiny way or in a pure global way start from a strong writing able to deliver in a clear way a compelling story with a strong structure that is completely about a focused theme focused thematical conflict that the writer feel strongly, has experienced it strongly inside himself. I mean, I would love to listen to you talk more about uh, themes and, and, and all these things that, that makes good TV series, but maybe another time. It was a, a, a very um, uh, yeah, exciting to, 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 to uh, talk with you and think about the uh, future of uh, Europe and TV series. Uh, hopefully the virus will... Uh, Uh, soon let us go back to to create uh, uh, in a different way but uh, as as we wish and and thanks a lot Nicola it was great yeah. having you thank you thank, thank you thank you for inviting me again thank you for this conversation that was really exciting for me and uh, be strong and be healthy Oh my God! Yeah, that was really interesting to have him right now, wasn't it? I mean, yes. So, uh, so um, for for the one who, who, who don't know, uh, Nicola has been our teacher uh, at Serialize, and he's uh, he's been fascinating for a, a lot of uh, of topics, from you know vision about the industry to very like detailed about about the writing and uh, what's the theme, how to how to make a scene uh, uh, cooler in a way, and and uh, and I mean, he has a lot of more things to say, and and I hope we will uh, have him again at some point in the podcast but uh, um yeah i mean you know simple simple program you know save europe with your storytelling yeah i mean we definitely need to invite him at some point uh, again because I, i mean I, i could just listen to him for hours to be honest <laughs> 
yes, and and uh, I guess it uh, it set up the the you know the direction for for us yeah. and for the podcast, and and uh, this is uh, uh, this was quite a large uh, uh, topic, but uh, uh, and we will go into way more details and practical things in in the in the coming episodes. But um, yes, I the big uh, welcome, and this is this is the goal. This is what we can do with fiction, and this is a uh, um, this is what TV series can be. Uh, this is something that uh, I wanted to to share uh, with him and with you people uh, so yes that was the first episode of uh, Euro pudding so uh, thanks a lot for uh, tuning in and and uh, uh, we are uh, happy that you were there and we will be back soon with exciting guests so uh, uh, you know you can find us uh, everywhere you can find the show notes with like links and information about this episode um, on our website europudding.com and also probably in your favorite uh, podcast app it should be there somewhere if you if you look if you click on the right thing yeah and please spread the news please tell your friends about us subscribe to us and like us wherever you can you can find us on social media facebook twitter instagram you name it uh, just type euro pudding and leave us a comment write us a message if you want us to talk about a specific topic and yeah we'd love we'd love for you to give us some feedback And for any questions, remarks, ideas, you can get in touch. Also send an email at info at europoning.com. Stay safe, everyone. And most important of all, stay healthy. Yeah, and stay home if you can. Uh, have a, a wonderful end of evening, day, whatever. And see you soon.